it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 125. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to continue our ongoing discussion about the no commission news that hit the stock market last week, and we had some other additional thoughts that we wanted to share with you about a couple different topics. So the first one we're going to talk about is something that I broached with Andrew uh, earlier this week, and we talked a little bit about it off air, and we thought this would be something that might be of interest to you guys and see if it was something that might help you with your investing. So the thought that I had was, how is this going to affect ETFs? And the reason why I thought that was because before, when you would go on Ally, for example, and buy an ETF, let's say uh, VOO, which is a ETF that tracks uh, the top S&P. Yeah, S&P, it's got 516 stocks, I believe. So it, it tracks the majority of the, the S&P plus a few extras. So what's to stop you from doing something a little bit different? So in the past, when you would buy this particular ETF on Ally, you would pay $4.95 for your trade like everybody did for any other stock. And then during the course of the year, the ETF would also charge you a fee to manage and operate the ETF for you. Now, in this particular case, it's uh, 0.3, so it's quite small, but it's still, it's money that is being taken from your returns at the end of the year. And so my thought was, is now that you don't have to pay that 495, why would you pay for the commission on, not the commission, but why would you pay the management fee on the ETF? And my thinking was, is that you look at, when you look at any ETF, you can see a breakdown of what it is that they are holding in that ETF. And in this particular case, uh, they're holding the top 10 stocks that are in their particular portfolio are some pretty big hitters. Uh, it was, let's see here, we got Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Berkshire Hathaway, JP Morgan, Alphabet, Class A and C stocks, Johnson & Johnson, and Procter & Gamble. 
And it tells you what the weighting of all those are. And that's 21% of the whole portfolio that they hold in this ETF. And I thought to myself, well, why wouldn't I just buy those stocks individually? Because now I don't have to pay for them. It doesn't cost me to buy all 10 of those stocks other than obviously buying the shares and spending the money on the shares. But if you're looking to build a portfolio, for example, what's to stop you from just looking at this and then buying all 10 of those stocks and it costs you nothing to manage it and it costs you nothing to invest in them initially. So the 495 that you would pay for these 10 stocks, that 50 bucks that you would, you know, have to show out for each individual purchase would now you could use that money towards your investments. And I guess I'm wondering how in the long run this is going to affect ETFs, index stocks, uh, as well as mutual funds, because now you can go on your brokerage account, which whoever it may be, and not have to pay to purchase these, but you're still going to have management fees. And in some cases they can be higher. And I guess my thought is if you are of a bent like Andrew and I are and want to buy individual stocks, why would you buy an ETF when you could do something like this? Uh, I mean, there are other advantages, obviously, but I guess my thought was, is that this is a really great low cost way to invest in some pretty darn good companies and save yourself some money, which of course, over the course of, you know, a very long time would save you money that you could use for your retirement or buying a house or paying off a medical bill or whatever it may be. Those are all advantages that you could take advantage of yourself. So now that I've spewed all my info, Andrew, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Well, as an individual investor too, you could kind of build your own modified index. So maybe you are pretty high on most of the S&P, but maybe let's say, I don't know, you look at a stock like Amazon or Netflix and you think, I, I really don't like that these stocks, yeah, they're great businesses, but their valuations are sky high. The price to sales is um, higher than I would like. And so maybe I'm building an index um, and excluding those. I think it's obviously something that uh, was less available to the average investor, I think. Uh, somebody where a 495 commission was limiting, now it's going to create the type of opportunities like that. And particularly with ETFs, you know, if we go back to what an expense ratio is, uh, like you said, Dave, it's what the ETF company is charging you for them to manage your assets. For a total stock, total stock market index fund like VOO or there's SPI, um, SPY is another one. These tend to have really low expense ratios, and that's why investors like them so much. But when you start to get to a, a lot of the other types of ETFs, especially as as they get specialized, um, you can find an ETF for almost anything these days. And now you're seeing these. ETFs that are levered, which makes it even more interesting. But you know, any typical um, type of ETF, like let's say it's a weed stock ETF, the expense ratios will tend to be much higher than what you'll see with like a broad uh, index tracking ETF. And so now, when you're talking about an expense ratio of let's say one percent versus point 
however many percent. Now that can start to eat in, and then you have to consider that that's not just a one-time thing, but if it's an expense ratio, it's getting taken out every year. Now you have this oppor- this this kind of give and take between um, if I'm knowledgeable enough that I understand what an expense ratio is, I understand how to find what holdings a, a particular ETF is, then what's one more step to just buying those stocks outright? Like you said, Dave, I think it's something that's a lot more reasonable now. Now the biggest thing, I guess, the biggest hurdle behind that is that depending on the stock, some of them could trade much, much higher. So an example would be like Berkshire B, is it? Or uh, Amazon, I think, is in the thousands. Netflix is in the several hundreds. So um, depending on how diversified of a portfolio you're building, that could become an issue. But you know, um, if stocks do stock splits to kind of accommodate that. It, it would be interesting to watch, you know, if if more people start to, and I don't even know how you would measure it, but more people kind of building their own ETFs or having these little like, I own one share of this, one share of that, one share of that. If you see a lot of that, if the stocks will accommodate by splitting their shares to allow more people to do that, who knows? I mean, we're, we're just at the birth of this. Yeah, very true. I mean, that's, I think that's one of the things that's kind of interesting about it. I, it it's really been a, a topic on a lot of the podcasts that I've been listening to. Uh, Meb Faber was talking about it, uh, the other day. And I know that, uh, um, Tobias Carlisle was talking about it the other day. So, you know, I think this is going to start making the rounds a lot more, uh, as you go along. And I think people are going to be talking about, some of these things that Andrew and I are talking about today about how this is going to affect individual investors, uh, the large, the large institutions that are investing, this isn't really going to be a big factor for them. But for us, for us, you know, average Joe, smaller guy, uh, this is going to have a huge impact, you know, on our investing and our choices and what we can do. And I think reduction in fees i think is going to continue and continue obviously the professionals that do this for a living they got to figure out a way to make money and i i certainly don't want to take away you know a livelihood from people but by the same token they're going to people are going to start to figure out a way to do these types of transactions or investments that are going to be lower cost for people because the kind of the unhidden or untalked about aspect of investing has always been, you know, the, the cost that you pay to invest as well as the tax implications. And so as people get more and more involved in this, I think there's going to be less and less uh, fees being charged for people because people are going to be more aware of this and it's going to be a lot more discussion about it. And I think, people are going to start asking those questions. Well, why am I paying you to do this when I can do this on my own? Or there's other ways that people can do it on their own. And there's such a huge advantage for the investor now that it puts us more in position of control than it did previous to all this. And this this has been going for a while now, this discussion on, that's really why ETFs were really kind of created was kind of a backlash against mutual funds because of the 
how they were managed and the cost that they were charging people to manage those funds. There was, you know, I think that's why ETFs were, were created was to give people an opportunity to do this. And uh, something that I, I also think with Robinhood really started kind of the tradition. Tradition is not the right word for it. Really started the movement towards the younger people being t- able to invest and not having spending a lot of money. And it was more of a, I guess I felt like a video game aspect to it. And now with all of the brokerages doing this, going that route, I think there's going to be more interest in investing. And I think it drops the shield, if you will, and it makes it more open to everybody as opposed to before there was kind of a speed bump or a barrier to getting involved in it. What are your thoughts on that? Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think it can be kind of discouraging to look at a stock and say, well, I'm getting a 10 cent dividend. Yeah, I paid $4.95 for this stock with a transaction fee, right? Right. So now that's that's kind of eliminated and and you can 
moving in and out of the stocks a lot easier. I think it it opens up a lot of opportunities, but I think it also opens up a lot of risks because mm-hmm. I think the temptation Apple is now dropping even lower to yeah. invite all sorts of other types of strategies, which might be counterproductive. Um, things like kind of trying to day trade in and out. Like if you're trying to capture one cent here, two cents there, um, from from trading in and out of stocks, that's where you can get into trouble. Um, but you know, I guess to your point, yeah, it's it can also help a lot of people. I think our podcast in general, we probably contribute to empowering people and and having them less pay the professionals than than the other way around. Yes, I think um, some of the other things that people need to kind of consider if if they are going to manage their money more on an active level. It's interesting, right? I feel like we kind of sit somewhere in the middle between being completely passive and being active. And it's kind of like this teeter-totter and there's a fine balance to it. And so you need to keep in mind one of the hurdles to kind of being an active trader was the fact that it's really it was really hard to make a profit if you had a small amount of capital because the transaction fees were eating away at your returns um and so now that that's gone you have more potential to kind of realize that those gains and and not have to have $10,000 you know to to make um smaller trades more profitable at the same time, there's a lot of, you know, and that I think a lot of people would default to more passive investing because as you look into active trading, you're like, well, that's a huge hurdle and I can't do anything about that. Now that's kind of out of the way a little bit, but you have to consider too that there's also taxes and the fact that it's very, very hard, if not impossible to, to time the market. You can go ahead and try for yourself um, and let me know how that goes. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, I think there are some things through this process that can kind of help somebody who's maybe maintaining that balance in a good way. Where um, maybe you see an opportunity to capture some of. I, I don't know. I, I might. I might be kind of way out in left field, but I think it's definitely promotes more active trading. I think. I think there will be a lot more. Just as time goes on and and more of the stuff goes online, right? Like, what was it? Twenty years ago, if you wanted to get a 10k document, you would have had to maybe it's longer than twenty years. Let's say thirty years ago, you'd have had to call into investor relations, have it mailed to you. Um, you would have to pay like five bucks or whatever it was. Now you can look it up instantly, any 10k. And same with the ETF thing, you can look up the holdings. Uh, as of today, you can look it up without having to pay for anything. So. Um, definitely the knowledge advantage is, is to the average investor now. And so there's some parts of that, I think, as people are diving in. And if you're somebody who's trying to be more kind of active, then, hey, I'm just going to buy an index and forget about it. There are some things that you really need to consider. And I think first and foremost, obviously, um, that 
everything we've talked about on the podcast up to now, the long-term investing, the the validity behind that, the the logic and wisdom behind that, and the reason why it works, it goes beyond just transaction fees. It's also to the the point that you're not trying to time the market and on top of like tax savings and all of that. However, you know, if you do try, like I've taken some money, I have a little fund account and I'm kind of trading in and out of stocks to see how that goes. I think there's, there's certain things you need to keep in mind as you're managing a brokerage account. So one of the things, and we've never, I don't know why we've never talked about this on the podcast before, but one of the things to understand about when you are buying stocks, um, if you're buying a stock, you're buying it from somebody else. If you're selling a stock, you're selling it to somebody else. And so kind of similar to, I wouldn't say it's like similar to an auction because an auction kind of goes one-sided, but I don't know. Let's say you're at like a garage sale, right? And there's the price that's on there. And then um, as somebody who's maybe haggling, you're saying, well, that's $10. Will you take $5? And then the person says, well, how about $7? And then you meet at $7. So if you think of uh, these brokerage terms, like there's the bid and the ask, that's kind of like um, what somebody's offering and to buy and what somebody's offering to sell. So one thing that I think maybe any investor, whether you're a long-term investor or an active trader, I think if the trend goes where there's more volume and more of these swings between the bids and the asks, I think you can take little percentages and um, kind of get a little bit of a gain kind of right off the bat. And that could compound in the big amounts, particularly if, if you're investing in higher and higher capital. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. So you have the bid is how much investors are offering to pay for the stock. The ask is how much investors are offering to sell the stock for. So generally, if you put an order in with your broker, you just say, hey, let me get this. I want to buy the stock. They're going to probably get you to, to buy that stock somewhere in the middle. And so... What you can do instead is is to make a limit order, and so the 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 more of a of a what is it the more of a opportunity that this can be for you is where the bid or ask spread is higher, and so let's say like for example I, I have a stock pulled up this one's in my e leather, um, and the spread is eleven cents, so. That doesn't sound like much, but we're talking about a fifteen dollars stock. So if you're buying like what what's what's let's do the quick math, like a hundred shares, that eleven cents, it's eleven bucks. Um, that's almost an extra share, that's almost a percent. So uh what you can do instead of just like let's say I, I know I want to buy the stock at um where it's trading at right now, fifteen forty seven. Um but you know, I would prefer the to buy it at fifteen thirty nine, which is where the bid is, rather than fifteen fifty, which is where the ask is. So maybe I would. What you can do is you put a limit order in. So if you put a limit order on a buy, that means that that this tells your broker do not execute this trade unless 
the unless I'm paying at most what this limit is. So if I put a limit in at fifteen thirty nine and the stock's still trading at fifteen forty, the broker's not going to give me those those shares until somebody offers me fifteen thirty nine. Then I take that trade. And you can do the exact same thing on a sell where you put a limit order also. And so maybe, you know, this can work great in so many ways, but like maybe, maybe you bought the stock at like 15 and and you really want to get out at 1550 to get like a 50 cent profit, right? You can put the limit order at 1550. So it's at 1547 now. It's, we're not selling 1548. It rises up to that 1550. Now we want to sell and we get that 50 cents. Now there's always a risk. There's always a risk with anything with investing. You'll never get anything risk-free. So there is a risk if you put a limit order in that the stock completely turns the other way and it never hits your limit. So you always have to keep that in mind. I think maybe a, a tangible takeaway from all of that is maybe you put a limit order in at the beginning of the day. And then near the end of the day, if 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 you still, you know, if the stock didn't move that low or that high or whatever, then you still execute the trade. Might sound, you know, like maybe maybe we're getting the pinching pennies at this point, but it could be another way to sort of take advantage of more actively. The more volume there is, the more volatility, um, or even the more potential for these bid ask spreads to widen. The greater chance that you know you can you can do something significant i think i think we can agree a percentage point is it can be significant especially at a buy point i think because that can compound that that's that much more of a percent of a of a dividend you're receiving that's that much more of a percent less that you're paying as related to the sales or the earnings or the assets so i think it's something that's worth kind of trying at least where you can kind of work with limit orders and understand that hey you know if you're if you're watching the stock on the intraday it's going up and down it's going up and down um maybe you can capture that sometimes there's a risk that you won't but if if the stock moves a lot on in a a short trading period um there could be a good chance of of picking up a couple of uh you know a couple, a couple of half percentage points or percentage points here, here or there that could be useful. I mean, at the very, at the very worst, if you're at least buying at the bid rather than the ask, I think that's that's generally a win. What do, what do you think? Oh, I think it. Uh, I mean, it all sounds interesting. I, I really, honestly, don't know that much about it. I'm, I'm learning as you talk about it. Uh, I guess I have some questions about kind of a little bit about what you're talking about. So. Like when you're deciding like what kinds of stocks to buy, are you still following the same idea that you would to buy value investing stocks? Like you, what what I'm talking, I'm talking about like a stock that I was already, like, let's say something you've already used case for this, something you were already going to buy. Let's say your dollar cost average every month. And so I want to buy. I don't know, Johnson and Johnson, right? So right. if I was going to buy them tomorrow, um, right now they're trading at 136.17, the bid's 136.01, and the ask is 136.39. So you have a 38 cent spread. 
Um, so if I'm buying like 10 shares, maybe I am, I mean, me personally, I would, I would try to maybe put a limit order in a little bit below the bid. Okay. So, you know, uh, if the bid's 136.01 and I put a, a limit order five cents less, then all I need is for the stock to drop like five cents and I just pick that up. Right. Right. And so that that bid is 16 i know people can't see my screen but that's 16 cents less than what the stock's trading at now right so i think what's what's kind of cool about it is that the stock doesn't have to it, it like it, the stock could be trading at 13617 yet i could buy that 13601 just because somebody has put an order in and right. um there's it's it's complicated like behind the scenes how it works between how these brokerage houses kind of process the orders and everything but right like if if somebody on the other end of my trade is putting a market order in and depending on how the speed of what what orders are coming in then and I, I've seen it at just in a couple of days of playing with the bids and the and the ask and the limits and everything um you can bet I, I've had. <laughs> It's been kind of uh, hit or miss. It's like sometimes I get too aggressive and I'm like, well, I want it way lower than this bid price and then it never gets executed. Right. Or, but you know, but you can definitely take advantage and, and it, it takes what all of two seconds to kind of be like, well, let me at least guarantee myself the lower kind of part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So do these last days hours minutes i mean how how long generally do the trades take yeah. to take effect that's a that's a good question so with any limit order that you make you know kind of uh, the general way to to kind of go with the brokerage you just make the order they go they just execute that market and then you have the stocks in your portfolio like right away right so with a limit order and this is with Ally Bank, and I don't know what the other brokerage brokerage houses do, but I'm assuming it's something pretty similar. Uh, you put the order in, and then by the end of the trading day, that will expire. So if if it never hits my trade, then that's just gone. Okay. If if somebody does um, take my offer, then that goes in as immediate as the offer was accepted. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, so if you if you are looking to make a transaction and it doesn't happen at the end of the day, it expires. Correct. Okay. All right, that's good to know. Uh, so, is this something that, like, how do you make money doing this? <laughs> is it? It's, is it's, it? It's like putting a little hot sauce on a, on a on a plate of food that you're already going to eat. So, you know, like, like for me, if I'm already, if I already know I'm going to buy stocks, it's just adding another advantage in. Right. Right. So for you, you're looking at it as a way of a company, let's say Johnson and Johnson is a company that you wanted to invest in for you. There's really, it's really not a lose lose situation because if you end up, getting the stock at a price maybe you weren't necessarily wanting, you're still getting the company you want. Correct. 
Okay. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, you, you take it in any stock you're going to buy. Like, I hope people aren't stressing. Like, like for me, when I'm putting a stock from the e-leather, it's like, well, whenever I have time, I'm just going to log in, boom, put the order in and then we're done. Right. Right. If you want to kind of play the, the bid ass game, which I think is something that might come into somebody's mind. And if you don't understand those terms can get confusing, but basically it's like, well, I'm already coming in. Maybe I'm putting this in and then I'll wait an hour. And then if, if it never gets executed, then I'll just buy at the market anyway. Right. Right. So you're, yep. you're just kind of trying to capture a little bit of that spread, but not, not freaking out because let's say you, you go back an hour later and then you you say, well, no matter what happens after an hour, then we're just going to execute. Well, within those 60 minutes, there's probably a 50, 50 chance it goes either up or down. Right. We're not necessarily trying to guess if it's going to go up or down. We're just, we're just saying, Hey, instead of just buying in the middle, let's set a buy point below. If it hits cool, 50, 50 chance it hits. Then we just locked in a lower price. Right. 50 50 chance it doesn't hit. Well, in an hour, we're going to buy it anyway because I'm happy. We have the margin of safety on the stock. We already know that this is a stock that, uh, for all the reasons of, of all the episodes up to now that we've talked about investing for the long term. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I kind of like your analogy to the hot sauce thing because it's, it's putting it into, a little bit better perspective for me because like you're saying, I'm still going to pull the trigger and buy JP Morgan because I want to own the stock, but I'm also getting a little bit extra stuff with it by doing something like this. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. I guess I hadn't thought of it that way. And um, I think the thing that I, I guess is kind of interesting to me is that I guess I've always been, frankly afraid of options because i felt like it was such a risky thing and it's always been kind of portrayed as gambling i guess and kind of the way that you're explaining it to me and your outlook and thought on it it's not really because you're Uh, you're we're not talking about options (laughs) yeah well yeah true okay never mind sorry my bad (laughs) um just the, some of the 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 ins and outs, I guess, of the brokerage account. I guess that's a better way of putting it. Yeah. Um, uh, are things that I frankly was not as familiar with because generally, well, not generally. Every time I go buy a stock, I buy it, you know, at market, and we're done. Um, so I've never really delved into these things that you're talking about. I'm just not as familiar with them. Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't know how what all the developments we're talking about with the zero commissions i don't know how that if at all if it's going to affect how the bid and ask kind of spread moves over time i don't know what it does to volatility i don't know i don't know any of that but i think this is something that as more investors get encouraged to kind of really dig in and become more active this is another little hot sauce thing that they can put next to all their other sauces on in the cabinet that they can use along with everything else they've learned hopefully so far and and maybe give yourself a little more of a boost yeah exactly i think that's great 
All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about continuing the thoughts on no commissions and how that's affecting things. Andrew had some great ideas on the ins and outs of using your brokerage account to make a few extra hot sauces, as he put it. And so that's, uh, yeah, that's going to be great stuff. So I, I learned a lot. It was really interesting to me. So without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and sign off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.